Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this show, we will break down Florida's Hall of Fame Invitational loss to Maryland. Tough one up in Brooklyn for the Gators. We'll also preview the Orange Bowl Classic against South Florida. I hope to see a lot of you down in Sunrise for that game this Saturday. A good event. Always, the Orange Bowl people always do a great job making everybody feel welcome. And um, lots of tickets available, so hopefully uh, some of our listeners in the South Florida area will make it out there. That would be great to see some people. As it is the holiday season, we will ask you to leave a heart on Spotify, a quick review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, any of the platforms you use to uh, listen to the show. Um, We would really appreciate that. Help us with sponsorships and things of that nature. As we move into 2022, thank you for listening. You guys are why we do this. Um, So we appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm joined by Eric Fawcett, GetterCountry.com. Eric was kind enough to postpone our show, uh, which we were going to record on signing day, and now we're recording Thursday night. So thank you for that, Eric, and uh, it's good to to be with you. Florida, you really have to feel like a missed opportunity in this Hall of Fame Invitational in the loss to Maryland. Uh, yeah, first of all, I mean, I, I know that everyone loves their their Florida basketball hour, but I know that National Signing Day is pretty a uh, pretty big deal around here, and uh, luckily it went pretty well. So I'm glad that you were able to write about that, Neil. And you know, I, th- I would say your priorities were were straight on this one. But uh, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, was it a missed opportunity? Well, I don't know if that's even that much of a quality win if the Gators get it. So I'm, you know, quality opportunity. Uh, maybe, but I almost, it almost strikes me a little bit more of like a loss you don't want to take more than it was a missed opportunity, but maybe that's just a, a negative way to, to look at it. Yeah. Let me, I think that's, that's reasonable. So let me, let me explain it this way. I would not have been as bothered by what happened Sunday, um, for a couple different things that we're going to talk about. I'm sure. Um, if they had won the Texas Southern game. Fair? No, that's definitely fair. And uh, it, it almost feels like maybe some of these other uh, situations in the last two seasons where some of these losses that were not like in itself devastating, but it's just one of those situations where maybe the Gators didn't afford themselves enough rope because they kind of compiled a couple of those losses that were like, oh, that's not a devastating loss, but it's not a great one. And then you have a couple of those and suddenly they they start to seem a little bit worse on their own that uh, that maybe they actually are. So that's a, that, that is a good point. Had they not lost to Oklahoma, even if they hadn't lost to um, Texas Southern, if they take this loss, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's um, neutral site uh, in a situation where, you know, a lot of teams have had <laughs> trouble making shots recently. But you know what? You were there, Neil. Why don't you describe uh, describe the scene there in Brooklyn? Yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, semi the, – the classification should have probably been semi-away. Um, and I kind of knew this when they drew Maryland in that arena. It's not like drawing Providence in that arena, which they did a couple years ago. Um, because Providence just has – even though a lot of Providence alums live in New York City, it's just such a smaller alumni base. But Maryland – I mean, you didn't even have to be like New York City. They're 
day trip to New York um, from Maryland. So you had day trippers. You had ride the Amtrak, which drops off. You can connect on a path train, whatever. I mean, it's very easy to get to Barclays. Um, it's one of these, just like Madison Square Garden, you exit the subway and you're in Barclays. Um, so, you know, very easy to get there. Huge Maryland contingent. Uh, I would say of the four big programs that were playing in the afternoon session, Florida had the least fans um, or NC state, one of the two. And then Purdue brought a lot of people that I guess wanted to see the holidays uh, in New York city. Also they're ranked number one in the country. And then uh, Maryland had the most. So Florida was playing functionally on the road. Uh, very modern arena. I texted Eric during the game. I said, Eric, you'd love this place. Reminded me a little of Atlantis, right? With the like very focused lighting or State Farm Arena in Atlanta is another place where the Hawks play um, where all the lighting is very much centered on the court and the seating is very dark. Um, so a little different than say American Airlines Arena where the Heat play if, if any of our listeners watch the Heat. Um, you know, we're that kind of standard old school lighting. This is more like, hey, everything is center stage. You know, New York uh, kind, of, kind of lighting and that can create backdrop issues, I think, for shooters, although certainly didn't affect Maryland. It was so funny and I want to get into the game a little bit and I'm not rarely do I pat myself on the back on Florida basketball hour, but I kept telling people on Twitter and on the pod, I said, this is a team that's shooting like 28%. They're all, a lot of them are shooting way below their averages. You just felt like a game where they went like eight for 13 from deep was coming. And unfortunately it was against Florida. Yeah, this is uh, these games where the Gators play and um, lose and then have like a whole bunch of time afterwards. It's like, definitely those situations where I find myself watching the game over and over and over again. So I found myself watching this one, not another a second time, but a third time. And then a fourth time, I also went and watched all of Maryland's made baskets. And there was a couple moments where it was like Fats Russell got a wide open jumper and it's a guy who hasn't shot well his whole career, but it's like, you know what? You give a guy like that tons of time and space. Yeah. He's going to be able to hit a shot. But man, some of the shot making was more ridiculous every time I watched it. Like if you'd have said right after the first, like the first game, the first time I watched it, did Maryland hit some shots, some tough shots? I'd be like, yeah, that, you know, they hit a couple tough ones. The second time I watched it, I was like, oh my goodness, like some of these shots were just r- ridiculous, deep, contested, off balance, and from guys who haven't shot well their whole career. So there's a little bit to like. Like I said, I thought Fats Russell, like the Gators left him wide open. He took some shots in rhythm. Again, not a great shooter. But if you get those shots earlier in the game, kind of seems like when even a bad shooter, he gets those wide open threes and he hits one early, suddenly he's going to be a little bit more confident to hit a tough one later. So I think there was maybe a little bit of an element to that, at least with Fats Russell. But man, some of those other shots were like, there's there's nothing I would have changed about the way they were defended. Um, I think from a Florida standpoint, you were happy they took some of them. And uh, unfortunately, the Gators just weren't good enough in a bunch of other areas of the game to make up for uh, what ultimately was kind of the differentiating factor, just that Maryland shot making. Yeah, so that would have been my first, and that was actually my first takeaway. So what I've gotten in the in the habit of doing, and I've done this for a couple of years, I think Eric knows, like when I go to the game and Eric's watching elsewhere, 
I have a little notes thing open on my phone. And usually during a media timeout, I'll write a little note. And the first thing I put was, Maryland is making some silly, all capitals on silly shots. Um, and that was like my in-person impression. Was that Florida, it wasn't a situation where, like against Oklahoma, Florida really struggled defensively in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock. I thought Florida was pretty good for 30 seconds a lot of times. And Maryland made shots with three seconds on the shot clock that were just silly. Um, including the Fats Russell triple that gave Maryland the lead again late in the game, 66-65, Florida leads. I mean, he's falling down and backwards. Uh, and there's an extended defender in his face on that one. I understood dropping off on him. Honestly, I probably would have played him the same way because he's so crafty at getting into the lane. Like, let's at least make him shoot over us. But, like, late in the game, they didn't do that, and he still made the shot. Now, we can debate how much mental confidence he had from seeing the ball go in, right? Uh, that's the fast Russell experience, as Eric Fawcett put it on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, but I thought just some really ridiculous shot making. They made another lawn two late in the game that was like a a sixteen foot, you know, Kawi Leonard like baseline jumper over Anthony Deruji or Flan Fleming, one of the two. Eric's watched the game three times, so he probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it was just like, how how did that go in? Um, if you had told me, Eric, that Kudis Wahab was going to have one point and four fouls, um, I would have said, well, as long as they defend Eric Ayala, they're going to win. And that would be like the one big – and Eric should shot some videos up on Twitter um, that were really good, I thought. And that was the one thing that Florida had some, some real trouble with defensively. If we're going to be critical of them defensively, I thought it was all about – just handling a city guard like Eric Ayala. They didn't really have a very good answer, whether it was Brandon McKissick, whether it was somebody else. Yeah, actually, Neil, those were private messages to you because I was trying to be a little bit more of a positive person and not put those clips on Twitter. But yeah, I sent Neil a couple of these clips and this is probably even a little my bit of bad, a, my no, bad. No, 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 it's no problem. I was going to bring it up, but I just want people to know, you know, I, I could have probably put up some clips that would have, caused some more negativity towards this team and I chose not to I maybe thought I've already brought some negativity and some other ways to the timeline but um man watching the game a couple of times um watching Maryland's made baskets and then sending Neil these clips what he's referring to is there's a couple moments from a couple of Gators on the perimeter where they could not guard a soul and Fats Russell was getting anywhere he wanted on the floor with just 100% ease. And I think that that, while I do think that Florida defended sometimes really well, and that's what led to some of the shots that we were talking about before that were well contested, that were deep three-pointers from guys who don't hit those kinds of shots usually. There was also some times where I was just like, oh my goodness, there was just some Ole defense and Fats Russell just went in a straight line into the hoop and either found a wide open shooter or finished himself. And uh, the two guys that were kind of at, fault I would say where where Brandon McKissick was just really struggling to guard on the perimeter this isn't the first game that I thought that he's really struggled to guard on the perimeter and then someone else who I've also mentioned just as that does not guard as well as his athleticism and length would suggest is Anthony DeRuji who Eric Ayala again was just like his first step he was cooking Anthony DeRuji and that is not a high level athlete that's not a guy who's particularly fast and it wasn't even him being um 
like it wasn't him being deceptive and jabbing one way and, and taking Druji another way. It was just straight line drive right around Druji. And the kind of overarching question I think I have for you, Neil, and if there's anything to take from this game, from those clips that I sent you for this overarching kind of season is like, how elite do you think Florida can be defensively if they don't have enough elite individual defenders on the perimeter? And we can even argue like, who's a good perimeter defender or who might even be less than a good perimeter defender. Um, or we yeah. can say not a lot of elite defenders, but whatever the case is, I, that, that is the one thing about Florida's defensive ceiling. They just do not have a lot of just pure stoppers on the perimeter. Yeah. I it's, it was pretty concerning. Like I think Eric Ayala, I mean, obviously he's all, all big 10 guard like me, but he is like Eric just said, like he's not really an elite athlete. Like he's a city guard, right? Like he's going to, play physical and scrap and grind and he doesn't make many mistakes. And unfortunately for Maryland, he hasn't hit many shots yet this year. Uh, he's a little bit better of a shooter than he's shooting, but he was just feasting getting downhill. And I kept thinking about like guys like Iverson Molinar, like players that Florida's going to see in conference play. And I was like, Whoa, like there are a lot of Eric Ayala's in the sec. There just are. And so I think that's problematic. By the way, the shot I'm referencing was Donta Scott. It was a 16-foot turnaround, Kawhi Leonard. And it was Byron Jones in his grill, Flan Fleming help side, and Brandon McKissick coming to help. So, like, just three people guarding, essentially. Um, and it went in. And another shot that extended Maryland's lead when Florida had played perfect defense. So there were a little bit of both, but I also think like if Florida defends better on the perimeter, none of this is a problem on Sunday and we haven't even gotten to offense yet. Are, are we on the same page here, Eric? Yeah. And I, again, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to make every game a referendum on Florida basketball and a grand overarching look, but the fact of the matter is this is not a team that's very good offensively and they were kind of getting whatever they wanted against the Gators. And again, while there are, point total was still kind of propped up by some tough shot making there was also a lot of wide open shots and then there was also a lot of wide open layups and a lot of it was just that from guys who just I'll say just need to be better guarding one-on-one -on, -one on the perimeter and uh the other thing that's maybe concerning is for Brandon McKissick who I I, I love and I'm really cheering for him but we know he's not really a point guard we know his shooting has been really streaky and his on-ball defense is not at a high, is, is not high level, uh, just in, in my opinion. And some people might disagree, but it's kind of something that I have been thinking for a couple of games now. And then watching this Maryland game where, of course, he gets the start over Kyrie Appleby, it just was was very apparent. And again, yeah, Fats Russell, veteran guard, but even like you, like you mentioned that there's some Eric Ayala's in the SEC. There's also some, you know, speedy, shifty guards in the Fats Russell mode or mold, but they're probably better. So again, I was a little bit concerned at that end. And then, you know, Myron Jones, a smart defender, not a great athlete. I don't think he's a stopper on the perimeter. Um, just look kind of at some other areas of Florida's rotation. It's just like, you know, how, how many just like point of attack elite defenders are there? I, there's not a ton. And something that's, you know, you look, you look right now for the Gators, it's like, what are, I think they're 27th in, in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency right now as we speak. And, uh, 
that's kind of one thing I thought was pretty interesting is if you look at Florida's average Ken Palm defense in the Mike White era, I think that they're 26th. And right now, um, right now the Gators are 27. So this is kind of what the, the average that, that things have, have kind of been over the, the whole Mike White era. And uh, I, I'd love to say that I see it turning around, but I just like, man, if you can't keep a Fats Russell and Eric I all in front of you, uh, it's going to be maybe tough in the SEC. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to dominate the teams that they're better than, right. That they're noticeably better than like Sat. We'll, we'll get into the South Florida game, but now South Florida is also one of the worst offensive teams in the country, but um, you know, and I'd expect Florida's Kim Palm number to stay about the same because of that. Uh, if not drop, <laughs> depending on what happens, but drop meaning get worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely concerning. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Brandon, because it gets these grown man steals from time to time, I don't think any of that's going to, going to stop. Uh, he's a real physical player and, you know, Florida's going to get some, some turnovers. I think all season long, they're going to force some turnovers defensively. Question is when that well runs dry and teams take care of the ball, can they get consistent half court stops, Eric? And, you know, I don't know. I mean, you watch a game like this and it has to be concerning to you because they did what I, I mean, we talked about Kudus Wahab on the pregame. Like this is a kind of a tough matchup for Colin Castleton and they shut that down and still couldn't get enough stops to win. Um, and some of it was shot making. Sure. Some of it was Maryland goes eight for 13 from deep and makes some tough looks. Uh, but but where do you feel about that rotation-wise, Eric? That's the question I have for you because, you know, they got three points for Myron Jones. He, again, had another tough night shooting. Uh, it's starting to get a little concerning, quite honestly. Brandon McKissick had two. Um, I mean, Florida had three of Florida starters actually end up with, um, you know, well, I guess you have three from Jones, two from McKissick, and then nine from Deruji and Castleton, uh, both of whom played with foul trouble. But Florida gets 38 from their starters and 30 from their bench. Is there room to maybe argue that the rotation needs to be extended a little bit? Well, the fact of the matter is they only played a couple of guys last two weeks and they're three or they're, they're one and four. So when you lose three of your last four in probably three games and your three losses were three games, you probably thought you were going to win going into the, if you were to look at the schedule, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you have Oklahoma on the road as a loss, but you know, yeah. Vegas yeah. certainly didn't. So uh, I, uh, I, I said you've got to look at, hey, is our top seven getting the job done? And right now I don't think it is. I, I've kind of mentioned a couple of times that the starting five, that does not include Kyrie Appleby, has not been very good this season. And it seems to be something that White is a little bit more comfortable with. It seems like every time Tyree Appleby turns the ball over, um, they just like, well, I guess the next next game, it's it's going to be Brandon McKissick out there. And that starting five just has not been very good. I've showed the numbers. They had a minus 16 net rating going into the Maryland game. I haven't looked since. I actually think that that lineup was like plus two against Maryland, um, which, you know, is almost neutral. So it wasn't like they killed him against Maryland. But again, it's not great against a team that once again, Florida should have handled. So yes, that Florida starting group without Tyre Appleby played Maryland to essentially a draw. 
Um, that's pro- that's not good enough in my opinion. So I-, I think it's pretty clear that Tyree Appleby in that starting lineup is the best starting five. And I, while there is an element of like, it doesn't matter who starts, it's who finishes, um, especially if you're only playing seven people, you know, like you're going to get to that lineup, you know, pretty quick and it's going to be there for a lot of minutes. I also think this is a team that has shown that they'll keep battling from when they're behind, but man, they don't really have the offensive firepower to dig themselves out of, out of too many holes. And what's the one big hole they almost dug themselves out of. It was when Tyree Appleby started to make shots. So that's my first kind of rotation note. Um, That's not really what you were asking about because you asked about extending the bench. But again, that's, I just wanted to start with that starting five that has been, been there with Brandon McKissick, uh, Myron Jones, Flanders Fleming, Anthony Drury, um, Colin Castleton has not been getting the job done enough, in my opinion. So I, I think you absolutely have to look at Elijah Kennedy, whose minutes have been good when he's on the floor and bring some of that shot making. And then again, someone that we kind of keep calling for Kowasi Reeves. Um, I, I, I just think you keep looking at this team that's kind of has shown it's had some streaks of, of struggling to shoot the ball, of struggling to get offense. Um, I think you've got to look at who down the line is going to be someone who can contribute in that area. And it's the top 50 player who is ranked that way because of his shot making ability. And I, I just am not sure how you look at the last couple of games and think, um, Hey, this is, you know, we're about to turn a, a major corner offensively. Um, that That's just not something I would expect. And then also, uh, I think defensively you look and say like, Hey, it'd be one thing if we're really clamping down and, and, and stopping these guys, um, th- then maybe that would be something, but that's not the case. So I, I think this is the time you've got to shake it up. You were saying that the, the hmm. starting five, just, just not really lighting the world on fire here. Oh yeah. I, I, I think it starts kind of there. And then, uh, then from there, I think you've just got to look at what are the kind of negatives pro- or what are the problems this team is having? And, uh, it's kind of mostly on the offensive end. And it would be one thing if the kind of guys you were playing were so good defensively that you can say, hey, you know, we're not getting, not hitting as many shots, um, but we're getting the stops we need. It's like, that's just not the case. This team has not been very good defensively. So I, I, I think you've just got to start looking, how can we get more offense? Because how, how much is the defense going to drop if you play Elijah Kennedy and Kowasi Reeves more minutes? Um, you know, maybe it drops to 30th in, in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency or somewhere around that range, but that the headroom to get that much better offensively is, is there. So, uh, this is definitely the time where I think, Hey, there's been two weeks here where you kind of, well, even more than that, where you've ridden the same guys pretty hard. Yes. They had some good moments against some high major teams that we have since realized aren't as good as we first thought, um, with the exception of Ohio state. And uh, there's just got to be a moment here where it's like, let's, let's look for some different lineups. What, what other thing I'll say lineup wise that, that I would also like to see is you should see the lineups that CJ Felder has been put out with like CJ Felder's individual on off numbers are actually quite poor, which I would say would not match my eye test. So then I started to look at the lineups he's on the floor with and like, it's crazy. He was getting like, like the amount of minutes he's played next uh, to a gat kick is over half of his minutes. And there was lineups where it was um, Kowasi Reeves, Elijah Kennedy, Myron Jones, him, and Toon Gatkick. So, like, the one time that they did go to the bench, it was, like, all the bench players at once. And then it didn't go very well. And then they didn't see the game or didn't see much time for the rest of the game. So, like, 
I, I, I would also just love to see a little bit more finesse when it comes to getting a player like CJ Felder into the game and maybe seeing him some minutes, like get like take Deruji out and get Felder into there um, instead of like all these like gat kick CJ Felder front courts where, you know, with, with another bench player in the backcourt and it's like, oh, predictably that it doesn't go very well. And then those guys are out of the rotation for the rest of the game. It's like, Maybe some of those guys should be, but I mean, I, I do think that CJ Felder individually has been really good. He's just been on some, been with some tough, tough groupings. Yeah. I mean, I think Florida's going to have situations all year where teams are going to do a little bit of what Maryland did and either drop their pick and roll coverage or sink and sag in the post towards Colin Castleton to help. And Florida's going to have the opportunity to make shots. They shouldn't lose when they're 11 for 27 from three. Um, like they were against Maryland. And and honestly, what was concerning, I mean, I think Sunday they ran slightly better offense. My eye test of being at the game, Eric, was some of the offense was a little better and crisper than it had been previously, but I'm not really sure what that means necessarily. Like, it, you know, I think that could be more a statement about how poor it was in the couple games before than that they necessarily found something uh, that's really working against Maryland. I still think it's a little too high ball screen um, reliant at times. I still think when Colin Castleton leaves the game, they don't have a ton of, of answers. Um, and then I also, and I tweeted this from the arena. Uh, I was curious about Mike White's substitution choices. Um, you know, I thought Jason Jatoba was clearly a handful for Kudus Wahab or whoever was on him. Uh, Dockery certainly had no prayer um, against his big body. And, you know, Jason should be in shape enough to play, to keep playing. Like, I, you know, I, I know uh, Gator Brent on Twitter said, oh, I think Jason needed to catch his win. But I didn't think going to two on Gakic made any sense. And honestly, the plus minus kind of supports my uh, – theory about that. I also thought CJ Felder was three or four from deep and was a real handful for Maryland. He played like four minutes in the second half. Didn't understand that either. Um, so, you know, I think Mike has to be more mindful of his rotations as the Gators get into conference play. Yeah. I mean, obviously that kind of lineups and rotations is something I'm very interested in and I'm always quick to point out lineups that uh, you know what I think they're good or when I, what I think they're not. And um, again, to see that kind of CJ Felder situation. Um, I, 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 well, first of all, I, uh, yeah, so I, I'm just looking at the lineups now. So the, the first time that CJ Felder got into the game, it was next to Jason Jatobo. They just first came in the game and it didn't go particularly well. Um, again, is that a front court matchup? Like I, I, I think, I still think, part of the difference between like what me and I'm guessing you think and what Mike White thinks is that um, I, I really think that minutes would go well with him at the five, but it's pretty clear that Mike White thinks he's a four. So you do see all these lineups where he gets in the game and it's next to, um, well, obviously it could be next to Con Castleton, but especially I'm looking at all the lineups from, from Maryland. It's like he gets into the game and it's uh, he's next to Jason Jatobo. The next time he gets in the game, it's next to Gat Kick. So I, I mean, we can, we can argue even if, if gat kick is, is, is playable um, just kind of generally speaking, but especially like for a guy like CJ Felder, who we think is best at the five. And then it's like, okay. And then you've got him out next, next to gat kick. It's like, 
yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit rough in 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 my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I would have played Tuan Gakic zero minutes because I just don't think he's ready to contribute offensively. I appreciate his energy and his bounce and athleticism on the defensive end. Um, but, I mean, when Florida hits a beautiful slip screen and they dump a pass into him that should be a dunk and he fumbles it away for a turnover and Florida loses by two, I mean, it looks pretty foolish to have him on the floor, to be quite honest. Um, I hate being like this blunt, but – Sometimes it's necessary, I feel like. Um, and, yeah, I mean, as I've said, since C.J. Felder signed up to play for Florida, I'd like to see him play the five some. Um, he's a tremendous rim protector. He's probably Florida's best defender in terms of lateral movement. Um, and, you know, I think that some of the, like, over-rotation issues that can hurt and hamper big men, get them into foul trouble – aren't necessarily going to apply to him. I also think that offensively, the fact that he is at least a capable three-point shooter is something that might be Mike White might find productive if he was in the five um, when you're playing a five-out offense, Eric. Yes, I mean, C.J. Felder is is just absolutely spitting in the face of our predictions for who's going to have the most three-point shots made between him, Colin Castleton, and Daruji. I mean, he's going to – um, really dominate Castleton in that factor for sure. And I, I would not be surprised if he uh, goes past Daruji, who is not as willing of a three-point shooter. But um, again, I'm also just kind of looking at the structure of a lot of these lineups. And and I would just think a lot of them would go better with, with CJ Felder at the five. And um, again, I kind of mentioned some guys earlier that I didn't think defended particularly well. I mean, man, gat kick out there. Um not going very well on the you, you like you mentioned his struggles on the offensive end uh man on the defensive end it is no better so I, again he's a young player who um got a pretty late offer to go to the university of florida so it's not like let's make sweeping conclusions on his career right now i will we'll, we'll see where it see where it goes but like right now at this very moment playing at barclays playing maryland it's like i i think i'm with you and it would have been zero minutes in my opinion but a lot of that just i think stems from the fact that when con castleton leaves the floor for the first time in my opinion it should be cj felder at the five um i don't believe that's uh gonna happen but it looks to be jatobo um it does seem like jatobo just played his best game of the season i still have my kind of reservations about jatobo's game but uh uh, kind of from there, and then then from there, Neil, I've got to ask you. I mean, uh, I what what um what backcourt or wings or backcourt players would you think that we need to see a little bit less of in order to get like an Elijah Kennedy or a Quasi Reeves or even a Niles Lane if you want to go that direction? Um, I always it's always funny because I mean I always there's always people who are like oh we should play this person more we should play this person more but they don't often say who should play less so I do think that always has to be a little bit of the part of the conversation. So um, the 10-second pitch for Lane is that we are, again, concerned about Florida's ability to defend the ball on the perimeter. So if you're already worried about offense, like Niles isn't going to improve your concern about that, but he will improve your defense. So that's probably 15 seconds. Um, Kawasi Reeves is the guy that I would try to find more time for. Um, seems like the staff trusts Elijah Kennedy more defensively right now and that's what's happening um it would be great if elijah who i know can make shots because i watched the damn peach jam uh would start making shots you know i mean a couple wide open uh well 
two of his three shots that he took in the Maryland game were wide open. One of them I would not have taken. I thought it was a really he so he's good for like one bad shot attempt a game and like one really wide open shot attempt and where Florida moves the ball well and he's got to knock those down. Um and honestly like if he s- continues to miss those they've got to sit him Eric. Uh, cuz they're not good enough offensively to to keep him in. Um they've got to try to find the guy that that's going to make it. Um and then in terms of Chitobo, you know, I guess that's not really that's obviously moving away from your perimeter question. Not at all. But uh Yeah, I mean Jason was all about this game and game flow and head coaches have to manage game flow. And when a kid's playing the best game of his career, you don't take him off the floor to play two on gad kick. I just don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. doesn't mean Jason should play the next game because he played great. I mean, if he practices well, he's going to play because that's what every good coach does. But uh, so I thought game flow decisions were a little weird. And like you've mentioned, Clearly, the seven-man rotation. Oh, here's the seven guys I trust. Isn't necessarily working. Florida's one and three in their last four. So, time to change some things up. Yeah, I I, I do think for me that the guy I'd probably like to see a little bit less of is is McKissick. I just don't think right now he's a plus on on either side of the floor. Um, I and again, I mean, he's playing big minutes, so I'm not advocate. I'm not saying here's a guy who plays 15 minutes that should play zero. It's like here's a guy that's playing upper 20s that I think should play 18 or 20. And to get someone like a uh, Kawasi Reeves into the game, um, that would be something that I would that would look to do. And um, I, I have one more kind of overarching thing to uh, uh, to throw your way about this game, but. I'm wondering if there is maybe one negative to Florida taking on a lot of transfers that I hadn't really thought of until Mike White said something in the post game. So I want to bring it up and, and see what you say. Um, so of course we have heard for years with Mike White, coach candid saying, Hey, we had a bad practice this week and then we came into a game unfocused. And I think we both thought, Hey, with a much older team, that won't happen. Um, unfortunately we saw that it does happen and they've had bad practices and it, led to some losses. But after the Maryland game, he said, um, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said that he thought that his team was starstruck. And I thought that that was pretty interesting because I hadn't totally thought of it. Like, again, if you're looking at everything that comes with taking a lot of transfers versus high school recruits, particularly at Florida, like when you're talking high school recruits, it's let's say historically, like to just with a really broad stroke, like largely top 150 players, a lot of guys who play thing places like Oak Hill or Montverde or whatever, um, Hamilton Heights, um, who play with really good players, who play at some of the biggest high school events and AAU events, and then they come to Florida. Now we've got guys who do not play in those kind of high-level events in high school. Um, some guys who at their previous stops had practices in you know YMCA gyms and didn't play in front of a lot of people and didn't uh, didn't play in a lot of big time games. And now you find yourself playing Maryland in Barclays. And I thought it was pretty interesting to hear Mike White say, I thought our guys were starstruck. That's not his exact quote, but something along the lines of like the guys were starstruck. And I, re- I never really thought about that point of like looking up and down Florida's roster. Um, it, you know, do you think that that's like a, one of the like negatives about taking a bunch of, you know, low major and mid major transfers or, um, or do you think that again, that's just like uh, Mike White saying something, um, very candid that happens everywhere and to all levels of teams. And of course, Mike White's just the only one open enough to say it. 
No, I mean, I thought it was a reasonable, a reasonable thing to say. And, and I think there's something to it. Florida did start slow, um, you know, and, and I do think with the number of players that they have that didn't really come from high profile players or programs, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't used to this type of environment and, you know, a handful of them played in the NCAA tournament last year, but uh, a little bit different. You know, you play like the first game of the NCAA tournament against Virginia Tech. You almost don't have time to think about it. And then you play Oral Roberts, which is a mid-major, uh, really a low major. So you're kind of, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a little different when you're out there and the, the Brooklyn Nets thing is, is on the middle of the floor. And, you know, there's – signs for Kyrie and Jay-Z banners and all kinds of stuff going on. So I, look, I didn't have any issue with that. Uh, you know, I do think Mike is sometimes too candid for his own good, Eric. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I, I like, I mean, I love whenever Mike White says something like that. I just thought it was an interesting look of like, like even for me personally, I'm someone who's like, yeah, I totally understand these high major programs that are like, we don't even really want to take kids out of high school. We're just going to go and pluck the best low major and mid major kids we can that we know can compete and have no have done it at a different level. I thought this, it was like an interesting look into like, Hey, maybe this is a negative that we haven't totally thought of because like, you know, as much as like a Scotty Lewis had some issues, well, you know, he wasn't starstruck. I don't think at uh, you know, playing at, you know, playing in New York for the first time or, or anything like that. But maybe someone who's, you know, played at a small high school, played for a small AU team, played for a small college, and now it's suddenly or university. And now he's at Florida playing at Barclays. I just thought it was maybe, maybe an interesting look at like, Oh, maybe this is like, maybe, maybe there is a negative that I hadn't previously thought of about taking all those style of players. And I know maybe we did talk in the off season about like, Hey, is there some concern about the fact that Florida took a bunch of transfers from places that have not won recently? Is there a negative? I mean, maybe, maybe that's the negative we saw in a game, uh, you know, in Barclays against, against Maryland. Yeah, no. And it could have been, and remember like, I mean, Pat's Russell won a lot at Rhode Island. Eric Ayala was an all big 10 player on a big 10 champion. <laughs> um, so probably not Kudus Wahab just won the Big East tournament at <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Um, and I like the banner. I'm told the banner in Georgetown actually just says Kudus Wahab. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there's something to that. One other point I wanted to make before we move on to the Orange Bowl Classic was, well, I want to make two points. One, I thought, the sets at the end of the game were probably good. I know you sent out Twitter about that, and I thought Florida had pretty good play on. Um, and I didn't really have a real big issue with not changing it much the second time around, if at all. Um, you might disagree with me there, but, you know, Florida seemed to have the action. Obviously, Danny Manning got to talk to his guys about it, but Tyree Appleby didn't get a terrible shot off. I uh, just missed um, and then, you know, yeah, I mean, the offensive struggles, the ability to, the inability to be consistent offensively also hurts this team and their ability to pull away. I mean, Florida finishes the first half on a nice run, starts the second half on a run, gets up by four, I think, 
and gets a stop and then can't score. And, you know, so it's both. It's consistent stops and consistent offense right now, which is – that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, again, on that late game play calling or execution or design, like, again, I don't think it was like an utter failure or anything. I just thought it was like B minus. Like it just, again, it just like it wasn't putting the team in the the best position. And like, again, is a straight isolation for Tyree Appleby a bad shot? Uh, No, it's it's an okay shot. But again, it's just like in that instance, I probably would have liked something more. And um, for Florida to run the same, you know, one set, it gets deflected. And again, I actually thought that Flanders Fleming actually had a pretty good look at it. And I don't think he should have tried to make the extra pass, um, which is the one that got deflected out of bounds. Um, right. Right. Uh, I kind of wish he took that shot to be honest. Um, but, uh, and, and that would have been a better look than what they ended up getting. But again, it was just like one of those things to me where maybe it's again, one of those times where it's just like, has, has it been a couple of times where I've been not super stoked with Florida's offensive plan that doesn't earn them a lot of rope when it comes to a late game situation where they run a play and you know, it doesn't work. And then Maryland calls a timeout and then Florida does the same thing. Again, it ended up with Tyree Appleby isolation. That's okay. He got a pretty, he got a good look at, at a shot that Tyree Appleby absolutely, absolutely makes. But yeah. again, it's just like in the grand scheme of basketball and what you could have done in that situation to get a better look, particularly out of a timeout when you just ran one look. And again, the indication to me as well is like, if so if you run a play and it doesn't work for whatever reason, and then there's a timeout and you go back to the same play, you're probably thinking that it's going to work really well in, in some way, which again, when I, I just thought that, that 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 mindset is just one where it's like you're you're not going to get someone on a deception play twice in a row and you did see that they have the little brush ghost screen and maryland doesn't respond to it at whatsoever so again it ends with the tyree appleby isolation decent shot but uh you know i just probably wish there's something there could have been something a little bit better yeah no i mean i think the first action very very good uh fair to debate whether or not when Maryland called timeout after the deflection, they should have changed some stuff, but um, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't terribly dissatisfied with it considering I thought he made a harder shot to beat Ohio state, obviously a little different situation, but um, you know, he's five of seven from three on the day. Like there are worse guys to get isolated to try to win the game. Um, so appreciate what, what you're saying there. Though for sure, Eric. Uh, Orange Bowl Classic. Obviously, if you look at bracketology, it's kind of a, a mixed bag for Florida right now. Certainly, a lot of bracketologists have Florida uh, either on the bubble or on the outside of the bubble. Some have them in the last four in category. Uh, got a few that are last four buys. Way too early to look at all this stuff, but you can't lose to a South Florida team that cannot score uh, on Saturday, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how – well, I don't know if it's ever really too early to look at the bracketology stuff. Just to be honest, I mean, it's like it's, a, <laughs> it's an impartial look at resumes as they sit right now. It's like, yes, there's going to be a lot to change, but like, you know, what's I, – I, I don't know. I just find it like always interesting for some people who are like, oh, it's so ridiculous. It's like, well, is it ridiculous in a month? Is it ridiculous in two weeks or six weeks? Like, 
I don't know, any any line someone's going to set is arbitrary. And at some point, these games have to matter. That's true. That's true. I will, and I will say this, and some people are going to want to throw their phones or whatever their listening device is across the room at the negativity I'm about to bring on. But like, man, there's a whole lot of NFL players and COVID protocols. They're canceling NHL games. They're canceling NBA games. And there's a whole bunch of programs that are on pause right now in college basketball. I would not be surprised at all if we got to a point where a lot of games that Florida thinks they have end up getting canceled or indefinitely postponed. This is like not a season. I don't think to like screw around and hope that you get some sec wins later in the season to bolster your resume, because you could find yourself on the wrong side of the bubble thinking you've got a couple of games that you think are winnable to boost. And then they end up getting canceled. So Again, I it's it's not like it. I, I don't think this Florida team needs any more urgency. Um, but it's just something that I'm thinking about as I do look at Florida kind of sitting on the bubble or maybe on the wrong side of it. That's like, man, if you think that the schedule is going to go down exactly how it's laid out right now and Florida is going to have all these opportunities to right the ship, I, I do think they'll have plenty of opportunities. But, uh, man, if they don't kind of take hold of it really quickly – um, and they're getting into the last couple of weeks before uh, before the season or before the before postseason play, and they're not on the right side of the bubble. It's like, man, you just you just never know when an opportunity you think you have is is not going to be there. But that is my, um, I guess maybe negative or maybe realistic, depending on your outlook on life um, take. But uh, you know, we're talking we're talking South Florida. So uh, you mentioned something earlier just about how they um, really struggle offensively. I really think you could argue that they are, you you kind of suggested they're one of the worst offensive teams in the country. I, I really think you could argue that because um, right now in Ken Palm, um, I forget, I have to look right now, but I think that they're 329th. I think they actually might've dropped with how a couple of games went tonight. So I think, okay, yeah, they're 330th now. But if you look at the teams below them, like obviously the American isn't like the, you know, the, it's not a quite a high major, but it's just in that next tier. So for a team from the American to be 330th in offense, that's pretty poor. So I think you could really make some some arguments about them being, you know, what the worst or one of the worst offensive teams in the country. And a lot of it to do is the fact that they're shooting 24% from the three-point line. Um, just a lot of guys that that really struggle to shoot, and a lot of guys that are just like straight up reluctant to shoot, like guards like Kayla Murphy, who's their high score, someone that Florida actually recruited. He's a four-star. Um so nice recruit there for South Florida for um, he only has six three point attempts on the season. And he just, just watching them play. He is just like, so, so reluctant to take them. I'm pretty sure all six of his three point attempts were like grenades. He threw up at the end of a shot clock, like not shots he really wanted to take. So uh, for Florida, who's trying to get right defensively, I think this is just about exactly the team you want to see. Yeah, I mean, I think if, like I said, if Florida doesn't play great defense against them, their Ken Palm efficiency rating is going to go down. Like, they're going to get worse at defense by not being able to stop this team. The USF has only one player with an offensive rating uh, grade over 100. That's Russell Shiwa, who is the transfer from Texas Tech uh, and is a big center from Cameroon who probably – doesn't get a ton of uh, his career high is eight points. So his his offensive rating is probably more related to the fact that his field goal percentage is very high uh, than it is like he's an offensive beast. Um, yeah, look, where to start on the Bulls? Brian Gregory was a weird hire. 
<laughs> like he was very good at Dayton. Um, I think to be fair, like I felt like he kind of doesn't get the credit he deserves for putting the foundation in place for like Archie Miller to kind of revive that program. Um, but then he got like a high major job at Georgia tech, which is a pretty good job in my opinion. And just was terrible. I think they were just terrible. Um, and he got a lot of rope from Georgia tech. I mean, they gave him five seasons of just being bad and actually fired him after he made the NIT, which is the only postseason birth. And then USF hired him. Like he went and like worked for Tom Izzo for a year. Cause he's from the Izzo coaching tree and goes and takes this job at USF. And like, it just makes you wonder how serious USF is about basketball that they would like hire a retread like Brian Gregory and then stick with him this offseason when he like makes lots of inappropriate comments about his staff. Just kind of a weird guy. And I don't think they're particularly well coached. Yeah, well, and and again, they had in well, they had a bunch of players transfer out, and it was related to an incident where an assistant coach said some racially insensitive comments, and Brian Gregory was under investigation for knowing about it and allegedly not doing anything of, about it. I didn't look into it too much. I remember when it happened, I was kind of following it, but for this game, I haven't really looked much into it, but I know that a lot of people thought that that job was going to open. I remember talking to Darius Nichols and saying like, Hey, you're going to make a run at this South Florida job because I think, you know, everyone's saying it might open up. Obviously it didn't. There was also a weird story too, where like a couple of weeks before that, it was in the news that he got offered an extension by South Florida and he didn't take it. And I just thought that was like really interesting because like, I don't know, like maybe Neil, you can think of something or people listening can think of something, but I, I can't remember the last time I've heard about a coach being offered an extension and not taking it. And I'm obvious, like, obviously it happens, but like, you just don't seem to really hear about it. And especially at South Florida for a guy like Brian Gregory, who like you mentioned, Neil hasn't exactly been lighting it up. Like, despite the fact too, that again, South Florida has kind of like sneakily gotten some decent recruits, such as a four-star Caleb Murphy, who's a top 100 player. So like, for them to be where they're at right now. Yeah. Just a, just a weird program. And even watching them play. Uh, yeah. It's just like weird, like um, not good offensively at all, but like they do, I, I, I will say like, I do think they're pretty good defensively. Their numbers are good, but uh, I don't know how much of it is necessarily like coaching. Like they play pretty straight ahead man to man defense, but um, they've got some really good defensive players. That's for sure. And that's something that kind of uh, strikes me when I watch South Florida. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Murphy's great defender, uh, has just absolutely iconic hair, by the way. Um, and like Kawasi Reeves, good on the level of, of hair that he's got going on. Um, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, uh, shooting the ball, though. I mean, 37, 19, and 58 were his splits last year. Uh, I didn't look at them, to be honest, to see if they were much better this season, but. They can't be much better if they're 330th in, in offensive efficiency. And that's just like, at the very least, you know, when your best player is kind of like that offensively inept, you have some uh, serious issues. I think they thought that they would get some offense out of either uh, Sorrell Smith, who transferred from East Tennessee State, uh, or Javon Green, the George Mason transfer. Um, that has not really come to fruition although Javon Green is their best three-point shooter and by best I should point out that he's shooting 31 percent out there Eric so 
I mean, these are just kind of brutal numbers. And it's a shame because they're outstanding defensively. Um, to, to wit, they held Auburn to 58 points and 0.76 points per possession, which is amazing. Um, lost because they couldn't score. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the question, Neil. So, yeah, they're 24% from three on this end. I'll set the over-under three-point percentage against the Gators at 33%. Um, given Florida's luck, what are you taking? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm taking the under. I think uh, – if so Florida came into the Maryland game, one of the top 25 three-point defenses in the country. And obviously Maryland just obliterated Florida's number. But, I mean, when Fats Russell is like falling down into the subway – like making a shot, like what can you really do? Yeah. I'll also point out my personal opinion when it comes to evaluating a team's three point defense, like, well, Florida's percentage defense is really good, but I, I think the real mark of three point defense is your ability to limit other, like your opponent's attempts from three and Florida right now is ninth in the country in, in, uh, in opposing three point attempts. So like the national average is for 38% of shots to come from three Florida's opponents are only at 28%. And again, some of that is opponent, like you're playing Maryland who doesn't like to shoot a lot of three pointers playing some games earlier with teams that don't like to shoot a lot of three pointers. Like some of that is definitely competition, but also I do think while I have problems with a lot of what Florida does defensively, um, their ability to keep guys off the line is, is pretty good. So I do think that's something that will kind of work in their favor. But uh, one thing going back to uh, South Florida's defense and something that was kind of noticeable against Auburn is like, uh, they're, well, they're shot blocking and how they can really recover to protect the paint. And, and one thing that's pretty crazy with um, South Florida's, you know, a player that Neil mentioned earlier, um, Russell Chiwe, um, or Chiwa, I forget. Oh, Chiwa. I watched watched a couple of the games today. Um, so, anyways, he he's like he's listed at seven foot, two hundred and eighty pounds. Um, I think he looks lighter than that, but in like a John Igbunu kind of way. And of course, John Igbunu was at South Florida before coming to Florida, and uh, he kind of reminds me of Igbunu, like size wise, and even kind of like play style. I'm not saying he's as good as Igbunu. He's not, but like, kind of think about like, you know, a poor man's Igbunu. But like, so when I saw that. Um, I know he's a monster and South Florida um, defensively, they're 21st in the country in block percentage. So I kind of thought, Oh, there's a guy who like John Igbunu must be averaging like, you know, 2.5 blocks per game, but he is sixth on the team in blocks. Um, not just in raw blocks, because like Neil mentioned, he doesn't play a lot of minutes, but also block percentage. So there's actually two guys in, in Jameer Chaplin and Jake Boggs or actually a third guy. And then Sam Hines as well. Those are all wings that are like six foot five, six foot six guys that are all in the top 260 nationally in block percentage. And they're all just like very savvy time. Like when it comes to timing up blocks, when it comes to anticipating plays and the way that South Florida just like really sells out to protect the rim. Like they've got a lot of guys that can fly around and, and just erase shots around the rim. And I'm really interested to see how that kind of works against Florida because the Gators are not a team that, as we've talked about on the podcast, not a team that loves to get to the rim with some of these perimeter players. Um, when they do get there, they're not great finishers, a couple of the guys. So against the South Florida team that really locks down the paint and when players do get into the paint, they've got a, a number of guys that can block shots. I'm kind of really interested to see um, how, how that kind of looks on a basketball court. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Eric. Uh, in terms of just stopping them, um, Brian Gregory has always used a lot of, of flex offense concepts. 
um, back at Georgia Tech, a little bit like Tennessee um, in terms of just the style of offense that they play. Um, DJ Patrick is probably the best shooter on the roster. Shot 39.5% at Triton Juco last year. He's shooting 28% on high volume, moving up to Division One. Um, but, you know, certainly a guy that can make him. And I know Florida fans are all snake bit by, like, dudes that were shooting 12 points under their normal percentage against Maryland, just burying triples. Uh, so it, it, DJ Patrick is also 6'7 in the kind of – has the kind of length that's given Florida a little bit of an issue um, out on the edge this year when we talk about what South Florida wants to do in terms of its offense. Um, I think another point I would would add is, uh, you know, they are pretty solid defensively, but what they really do miss is, as we've said, uh, they just really do miss those those guards that can score or fill it up. David Collins left for Clemson. He's shooting 50% from deep at Clemson, averaging 13 and 7. Uh, that's a pretty big loss. And of course, Alexis Yetna. They seem to be managing okay without Alexis Yetna, who wasn't like an offensive dynamo, certainly was their best defender, though. Yeah, those are tough losses for sure. I mean, yeah, no, it was, yeah, definitely kind of the the face of the program, I would say, for a couple of years. Like, had someone uh, – or that's, well, it had people like me that were definitely interested enough to uh, uh, to come in and, and watch them play. So, um, you know, at Seton Hall maybe hasn't quite been the – uh, the the player I expect I kind of was like hoping he'd just go and like light it up a little bit more but still stat sheet stuff in a number of ways but uh talking about the guards that aren't great at kind of you know generating things like really the best shot that South Florida can take um in my opinion is Caleb Murphy in transition like uh, again I kind of mentioned that he's their uh, top scorer earlier and uh a lot of it is really him getting kind of going in transition and it's kind of funny because South Florida it plays really really slow they don't go out and transition a lot, um, but when they do, it's because Caleb Murphy kind of gets ahead of steam and turns up court, and he's someone, again, who's just so athletic and has a good feel for the game. So, like, transition's perfect because once it's in the half court, people are like, oh, that's a guy who can't hit the broad side of the barn, like you said, Neil. So it's like they really stack up against them, but in transition, you don't have that opportunity for for defenses to, uh, to really just load up the strong side against him. So if there's a way that you could see Florida giving out giving up some kind of like frustrating buckets, it's probably to Caleb Murphy in transition. So uh, that's really just like the one thing I think of watching them play. It's like, how could they hurt Florida? It's uh, when they do, do choose to go in transition, even though it might not be a ton. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. DJ Patrick, another one of their guys who can really get going downhill. Um, and, and Florida will need to account for that. Sorrell Smith, has a little of that in this game too. I like the Russell Shiwa a new comparison. I'm sure when Chris Beard offered him to Texas Tech, that's kind of something similar to what the Red Raiders had in mind. Um, you know, I, I would be more worried about him if he were a good rebounder, quite honestly, Eric. He's not uh, particularly prolific on the glass. I think that helps Florida. Um, Colin Castleton, obviously just, you know, really – Hurt Kudus Wahab, so we'll see if if another you know girthy big bothers him. So far, so good this season on that front. Um, what do you think Florida's approach will be offensively? Well, I do think that against Maryland, they had the most success. Like you mentioned, that you thought they ran better offense. I agree with that. I thought that they abandoned some of the 
general kind of like motion in the five out that was just like, I, again, just non-threatening cuts, um, dribble handoffs that were going nowhere, just the stuff that, you know, we were generally complaining about on the last podcast. Um, I thought that they kind of went away from that and instead went to the actions that I think are the most dangerous out of the five out. And that's those pin downs into dribble handoffs or handoffs right into ball screens. I thought those were really good for them. And then I, I do think that they got a little bit ball screen reliant, but at the same time, I thought they got some pretty good looks out of it. So I, I kind of think that that's just going to continue. Like I, it took them a little bit. It took them a little while to kind of like make changes from what wasn't working. So to see that against Maryland, I do think it was better offense and I just can't see them making more wild changes just because they have been a little bit slow to change. And, and honestly, I don't think they should like the best action. I, I, I have said it so many times that cause I think it's so good. And we saw Oklahoma do it so well. Like the best actions out of the five out, in my opinion, are anything that's uh, pinned down into dribble handoff or dribble handoff into a ball screen. And that's why if you go turn on an NBA game, you will see pin down into dribble handoff after pin down it, after into dribble handoff. And you see it over and over and over again. And it doesn't get stale because it doesn't matter if you know if it's coming, it's tough to guard. So any idea of it being like stale or like, like there's honestly like no situation where I would, I think I would be like, wow, Florida went to that too often. Like they, they, I would love to see it a hundred times more than they have already used. And so, you know, I, was, I, I like seeing it more against Maryland. So that's what I would expect. But uh, what about you? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right. I want to I want to see them build on the performance against Maryland, honestly. I thought that they ran some of their best stuff in a few weeks. Um, and I would say this. I like the way the schedule sets up before the Ole Miss game. Like, I like the idea of getting your defense right against South Florida and then getting your offense right against Stony Brook. They're going to play two teams that, are almost polar opposites of each other. Stony Brook really struggles to get stops. That's why they're not quite as good as I thought they were going to be in the offseason. Um, they're also like 25th in the country in three-point shooting percentage and super fun and super good on offense, Eric. Um, that'll be a challenge for Florida's defense, but maybe a chance for Florida to get more comfortable in the five-out. Let's see if Florida can shut a bad offensive team down on Saturday and get a comfortable win on basically a home floor yeah that's what it's uh, uh that's what it's got to be and um I, I think for me right now it's i know mike white would like to see the defense be better to me the defense kind of is what it is based off the kind of caliber of athletes they they have um so for me it's all about can uh can they really improve offensively so that's definitely the the number one thing i'm looking for well, there it is. We will be back after the South Florida game to preview the Stony Brook Seawolves. I'll be down in Gaines, Vegas for that, baby. You've not been waiting all year to circle <laughs> that one. Um, so <laughs> um, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.